Bibles with you this morning, would you take your Bibles and turn to the first book of the Bible, the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis, all the way to the left in your Bibles, the book of Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. His, his name was Joseph. His story really uh, began when God gave him a dream back in chapter 37. In fact, we sometimes call Joseph the dreamer. We call him the dreamer because God gave him a dream. He, he, his dream consisted of this. He dreamed that on two different occasions, he, he dreamt that his his family, the first dream was his brothers, the second dream both his brothers and his parents, he dreamed that his family, particularly his brothers, would bow down to him. In that dream, no other details were given, the how, the when, the, even the why. Uh, he, he did not know how long it would take or some of the things that would, that would happen between the dream and the reality of the dream. He had no idea of those things, only that God had given him a dream. This, again, was a God-given dream. As I've done in previous messages, as we've looked at the book of Genesis, chapters 37 and 39, as we've looked at this, um, uh, I've said this before, that, that the dreams that God gives us are different than the dreams that we have for ourselves. The dreams that we have for ourselves, they're not necessarily bad things. They can be, I want to go and see something, or I want to do something, or I want to I want to restore a 1950 panhead or something like that. Those are not bad dreams, but, but I, want to, I want to clarify that there's a difference between God-given dreams and, and man-based dreams. God-given dreams are things that God speaks to us of things that he wants us to be and things that he wants us to do. He puts in our heart a burden, or we could say a calling, or another word that we could use would be an anointing to do something or to be something that only God can cause us to do, empower us to do, and make us become. A God-given dream is something that will, that will get you up in the morning, make you go hard all day and put you to bed weary at night and then get up the next day because you know that God called you to do it. The thing about God-given dreams is he doesn't always, like Joseph, he doesn't always give the details and that is a very, very good thing because if we knew the details of what would happen between the giving of the dream and the completion of the dreams, we probably would give up. But God-given dreams are some of the most important things that can happen to a person, and many of you have received God-given dreams. Talked with you in recent weeks. Uh, three weeks ago, I began this, this brief series, and, and, and a number of you have come up to me and said, you know, a lot of you have come up to me and said essentially this, I, I, I recognize that this is a God-given dream, and now I understand it better. That this is not something that I called myself to or something that I necessarily wanted to do, but I know that God has called me to this or that God wants to shape me to do this. God-given dreams are different than man-made dreams. and Again, God has given many of you dreams. Well, the Bible says that when they heard about the dreams, Joseph's brothers turned on him and they eventually sold him into slavery. The Bible goes on to say that he was taken down 
to Egypt. They were in Canaan, present-day Israel area. Joseph was sold to these slave traders. They took him to Egypt, and they resold him to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar. And it was in that hard place of Potiphar's house, we were looking at this last week, it was in that very hard place that Joseph's character began to be revealed. We don't see, we know of his calling, of his, of his dream, but we don't really see his character until he's in a hard place. We start to see his character revealed and his character shaped in that hard place. Now, let me tell you something. Hard times then and now will often reveal and shape character. Hard times, hard places, challenging things in our lives will often be those things where our character is revealed more and we are shaped in greater ways than in the good times. Now I'll tell you what, I'm grateful for good times. I'm grateful for when the heat is not on and for when the challenges aren't almost overwhelming. And I have learned to just kind of enjoy those times because they're going to be sometimes brief. But I also know this, and so do many of you, that our character is both revealed and it is shaped in hard times. And some of you are being shaped right now. You are on the anvil. You are being pounded and you're wondering how long am I going to be on the anvil but God is shaping you and God is shaping your character through and in this hard time. Well, in Potiphar's house, Joseph, the Bible tells us, became increasingly trusted. He, he eventually became what we would call like a chief of staff, which means that he, he oversaw all of the workings of, of, Joseph, excuse me, of Potiphar's household. He was a very important man. Now, we don't know exactly how long this took, but the, the Bible seems to indicate that it didn't take very long because they began to see his character, and even though they didn't know that he was necessarily a godly person, they saw that he was a very trustworthy person. He grew in responsibility, became like this chief of staff. Potiphar trusted him, <laughs> and Potiphar's wife wanted him. Genesis chapter 36, verse 6 says that Joseph was well-built and handsome. In verse 7, Mrs. Potiphar, it says, came to him, and she said to him, come to bed with me. Now, now that, that actually, just, just that line, come, come to bed with me, five words, th those five words tell us at least two things about Mrs. Potiphar. And that is, number one, this is a woman who is absolutely consumed with lust. We don't know what brought her to this point. We don't know, you know what, what contributed to it. But we know this, that she was absolutely consumed with lust. It, it may not have been the first time that she propositioned some of the, the help or someone else. We know that she was consumed with lust. And secondly, she was not subtle about it. I mean, I mean you know, five words, excuse me, Joseph, come to bed with me. <laughs> this is not the subtle approach. And she comes to him. We looked at this part of Joseph's story this last week and how it would have been tempting for Joseph to, in that place and at that time, in, 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 a, in a reasonable sense or in a logical sense, it would have been very easy for him to give in to this temptation. I mean, he's, he's lonely. He's been rejected by others. Someone's finally given him some attention. Someone's finally given him some compassion, or at least it, it could appear like compassion. 
He was far from home. The dream was not yet happening, and really he couldn't see how it could happen. He's hundreds of miles from his brothers, and no one's bowing down to him at this point. The dream is far from happening, and no one would have known, at least at first. And yet, the Bible says that, again, we looked at this last week, we, we saw how because Joseph respected Potiphar, his employer, and because he honored God, Joseph said no. In fact, not once, but many times. Verse 10 says that Mrs. Potiphar gave the same she gave the same proposition, here's the words, day after day. Day after day. She, he, he's, you know, he's doing something in the house and, and, and he's, he's you know, working on the timetable for who's going to do something. She comes up and she says, come to bed with me. And he says, no. Maybe he repeats the same thing. How can I do this? My, my employer, your husband, has entrusted everything to me and, And beyond that, how could I do this and sin against God? And then the next day, and then the next day. That's kind of the nature of temptation is that it's not just a one. How many here, don't raise your hand, but how many here would just be really thankful if you were just tempted with one thing one time and then you're never tempted by it again? Wouldn't that be nice? It doesn't work that way, does it? It's day after day. And every time, day after day, he said, no. The next day, no. The next day, no. Thank God. I'm really grateful that he kept saying no because if he had given in, if he had given in to that proposition, if one day he just said, ah, why not? Well, it's one time. Who will ever, if he would have given in, given in, here's the thing, the dream would have died. It was a a dream-killing opportunity. He could could experience something that would give a, a, a lot of delight for a short time but it would kill the dream. There are many of you that were here this last Sunday and you, you heard the, the, the message and, and, and since then perhaps you've been tempted by some kind of, of sexual sin. And the reason that I say that is because oftentimes the, uh, we have opportunity to live uh, what was just spoken about. I mean, you know that that has happened. You hear, you hear something or you read something in the Bible in your devotions or you hear something from a, a lesson or from a, a sermon, from a message, and, and all of a sudden it's, it, you, now you have opportunity to live it. Some of you this last week were faced with an opportunity for some kind of sexual sin and, 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 and you're kind of in that same place. When you are tempted, don't, again, don't raise your hands or shout out, but when you were tempted, did the Holy Spirit remind you that you too have a dream that must not die? Because you were here and heard it, or maybe you heard it on the website, and, 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 and that, that, that God gives dreams, but here's an opportunity for the dream to die. Did the Holy Spirit remind you of that? I pray that he did because I don't care if you remember who gave the message. I just pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to you in that moment and bring the words of Genesis chapter 39 back to your hearts. So Joseph said no to sexual sin and in doing so, he held on to the dream. Let me say that again. When he said no to this, he held on to the dream. He couldn't do both. He couldn't say yes and hold on to the dream by saying no to the the temptation, and temptation is different than sin. Sin is giving into it. Temptation is being tempted by it. 
By saying no to one, he continued to hold to the dream. But his story's not done. Verse 11 reads this way. One day, Joseph went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She, that is Mrs. Potiphar, caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. Same same statement, right? But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Imagine that in your mind. Just imagine that scene. She grabs him. I mean, this time, she is tired of just suggesting it. This time, it's like she grabs him by the lapels. I don't know if they had lapels back then, but she grabs him by the cloak, and she pulls him close. Maybe she's gotten herself ready, and she smells good and looks good, and she pulls him close, and she says, lie with me. Now he can't just say no. Now he, he, he does the wisest thing he could do. He runs. He flees is the word that is used. He fled Now imagine if you will, imagine if you can, Joseph running out of the room, probably a terrified look on his face. I don't know about you, but I would have a terrified look on my face. I wonder if if Joseph looked silly. I wonder if he looked silly. I wonder if some people, when they heard about it or thought about it. I wonder if you could somehow replay that actual scene if you would say, boy, he looks silly. Grown man running away with a look on his face. Do you know something? I'd rather look like a fool than play the fool. And there's a lot of people that say, I, 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 would, I would look stupid if I said no, or I would be embarrassed by saying no, or be unkind by saying no, or I don't want to look like I'm fill in the blank, prudish, uh, look like I'm puritanical, holier than, you know, whatever you want to fill it in with. I'd rather look the fool than play the fool. He may have looked foolish, I don't know, I can't see it played out, but, but he was a wise man. Look, can I add this in as well? Some of you are fighting temptation and you should be running from temptation. There's a difference. Sometimes we think, I've just got to stand here and fight it. No, sometimes you just need to flee it. And there's a difference between fighting and fleeing. There's some things I don't want to fight. I just, just run from them. Just run from it. Just put some distance between you and it. Run. Well, I, I, I kind of wish this story, you know, and I kind of wish, this is, this, is, this is me thinking here, I kind of wish that this part of Joseph's story ended with, you know, Mrs. Potiphar saying, Joseph, I am sorry, I was out of line, and um, I appreciate it, and pff, I just don't know what came over me. I, and, 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 and Mr. Potiphar saying, hey, Joseph, I heard how you turned my wife down. You know, she's got a reputation. But, you know, buddy, I want to thank you. You're a man of honor. And then the end result, uh, Joseph either being set free or at least getting promoted. Well, see, wouldn't that be a nice ending to the story? I mean, the guy does the right thing and, and gets, gets uh, rewarded for it. That's not what happened. Mrs. Potiphar was humiliated. In one moment, her lust turns just one moment, like that, boom. In one moment, her, her lust turns to rage. 
and her rage turned to vengeance. It's amazing when we open up our hearts to one thing, how other things can come in. Think about that for a moment. We often tend to compartmentalize things and say, well, you know, it's just, it's just this one thing. But you know when we open our lives up to one thing, other things can come in. Her lust, in a split second, her lust turns to rage. Her rage turns to vengeance because verse 13 says this, when Potiphar's wife saw, it's immediate, saw that he had left his cloak in her hand, she still has the cloak in her hand, and that he had run out of the house in split second. She called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. The next verse, it says that she later told the same story, actually the same lie, to her husband. Verse 19 reads this way, when his master heard the story, his wife told him saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Let me just pause there for a moment. He burned with anger. There's a lot to this story. Personally, I think that it wasn't simply just, sometimes we'd think that it was, I think he was angry at his wife. I think that if he really knew that Joseph did this, instead of imprisoning him, he would have killed him and he had the right to do so. Um, now, I don't know that for sure because it doesn't elaborate on it, but I think that he was angry because maybe he knew about his wife and that something like this had happened before or he had his suspicions. But his anger burned. Verse 20 reads this way, Joseph's master took Joseph and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Now, here's the thing. In the span of just a few verses, there are two of the greatest examples of injustice in the entire Bible. In this whole book, all 66 books of the Bible, one end to the other, you have here before you, in the span of just a few verses, and perhaps at the most just a few hours, two of the greatest injustices recorded in the entire Bible. Number one, you have a false accusation meant to destroy a person. This woman intended, meant to destroy this person. That was her intent. You humiliate me, uh, the rage comes, the vengeance come and came, and, and she fully intended to destroy this man. She, she, she would have been, you turn me down, you turn me down. I think in her mind it went like this. You turn me down for the last time, boy. And by the end of this day, you're going to swing at the end of a rope. What she said was intended to destroy this man. Number two, and that person began to experience suffering. Not for what he did wrong, but for what he did right. Two injustices. Number one, a lie meant to destroy, and number two, a suffering that began not for what a man did wrong, but for what a man did right. Have you ever been falsely accused of something? Has anyone ever said something about you 
perhaps with the intent to destroy you? Has someone ever been so angry, so so bitter that they, so hurt that they said something that was not true with the intent to destroy you? You're careful about not doing something, but then someone accused you of doing that very thing in an extreme way. How about this? Something like this. Maybe you carefully oversaw the company financial. You're honest down to the last penny. I mean, I mean, every penny is important, and you're so careful. And, and, and if you find one stray cent, you're going to make that right, and you would never pocket it. And then someone accuses you of embezzlement. See, you, you're, you're, very, you're very straightforward over here, but you get accused of something that is clear over on this side. Or, or how about you're, you're kind to someone, you go out of your way to be gracious and kind and to help someone, but then they accuse you of being cruel. I mean, what, what you're doing is so right, you acu- get accused of something so wrong. Maybe you're a, a leader in leadership of some sort, and, and you use your authority with great discretion. You're, you're very careful that, that the authority, the, the power, the influence that you have, you, that you, you are so careful in how that is used, but you, you, accuse, you are accused then of abusing your power. Has that ever happened to you? You, you, you? you do everything so right, but then you get accused of something so wrong. Joseph said no, not once, not twice, repeatedly. Joseph says no to repeated sexual advances. He demonstrated honor and respect both to his employer and to God, and then he gets accused of attempted rape. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is, there's an injustice here. It, this, this story is heavy. This part of it is heavy with injustice. This is not right. And sometimes things happen, and maybe it's happened to you. I don't know. I, know. I just know I'm supposed to preach this message, so it's got to apply to someone here. You've, you've done something so right. You've been so careful, you, and, and yet you get accused of something, you falsely accused of something, that, and, and it's, it, the intention is to destroy you. Maybe that's, helping, maybe that's happened to you, and if it has happened, I, I want to help you with something. I want to help you. I just want to put very quickly, we're going to, before we move on, I want to give you some tools. If you've been falsely accused of something, if someone has lied to smear your character, here are four things that I want you to do. Very, very quickly here. Number one, don't respond in the same way. If someone lies about you, if someone tries to smear or destroy you, don't try to smear and destroy them. Right? When you're fighting the devil, don't act like the devil. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes when, we, when, we're, when we're injured by someone and, 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 and we recognize what it is, it's, this is an attack from the enemy, then don't act like the enemy in retaliating. So that's just one, one quick little thing there. Number one, again, if, you, if, you, if you've been false, don't respond in the same way. Number two, if given the opportunity, then clarify. Do, do it, but, but allow the Lord to defend you. There's going to be, there, you can give all the information, and you may need to give, the, if you have opportunity, then clarify and say, no, I did not do that. 
This is not easy. None of these things are easy, but let me just help you. You need to allow, if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to allow the Lord to defend you. Listen, we, we serve a God. Uh, get, get, understand, you serve the Lord who sees everything. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God sees everything and the God who sees everything in time will bring justice? Now, it may not be according to the time that you like. It certainly wasn't with Joseph. But God did defend him. Remember, at the end of the day, He's not swinging at the end of the rope. He is still alive. But allow the Lord to defend. Number two, that was number two. Clarify, but, but allow the Lord to defend you. Number three, know that some people will still believe the lie. If somebody lies about something, some people will still choose to believe the lie. I can't help but think if Joseph, years later, you know, when he's in a place of tremendous power and influence, some people would say, you know, who didn't like him, who'd say, hey, you know, he's, he's, he's an ex-con. Do tell. What, did he, what was he in for? Attempted rape. Joseph? The big cheese? Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah they, some people still chose to believe it. And by the way, some people will still choose to believe the smear against you, but that's going to happen. Number four, and this is, again, this is hard. Number four, with God's grace, forgive. Now, the, uh, of those four things that you see there, it's probably going to be the first one and the last one that are the hardest. Uh, to, to not respond in the same way and to, to respond with grace. Um, and that's really, really hard. And I'm going to come back to this here in a little bit because this is, this is really an important point, but um, uh, it's very important that, that we ex- expand, extend grace because if we don't, it'll destroy something within us. I'll come back to that. Now, there's also something else that happened in this brief scenario here, these few verses. There's something else that happened, though it's not recorded in so many words. Joseph was faced with another temptation. He's faced now with another temptation. The earlier one was sexual, right? And, and he repeatedly said no, and he, he overcame it, and he ran, and, and he did not, did not fall to that. Uh, this temptation also came day after day. I promise you, though it doesn't say it in so many words, this temptation came to him day after day, maybe month after month. But you can be sure because of the injustice, Joseph was tempted with becoming resentful or bitter or vengeful. Now it doesn't say that, but I understand human nature. And though it's been a very long time, almost 4,000 years since Joseph was been around, I know, I know human nature and so do you. And that is when you start rolling this thing around in your mind, the more you do it, the more you are tempted to become vengeful or resentful or bitter. Think about this. He's still a young man. Um, we know that when he receives the dream, he's about 17. Let's say he's 19, 20, 21 by this point. We don't know exactly how long. But a couple of years perhaps has gone by. He's still a young man. But so many, already at this point, he's a young man, but so many people had hurt him. He could have become bitter towards his father for not protecting him. Why didn't dad protect me? From, why did dad create an environment or allow an environment to be created in which was so toxic that my brothers did that? He could have been resentful against his father. He could have been, he could have been bitter against his brothers for rejecting him and selling him into slavery. He could have, he could have been, been bitter towards his boss for not trusting him. He, he, he could have been bitter at his boss's wife for lying about him. All these things coming around in his head, the things that, it could, that happened. And, and here's the worst thing. And he could have become bitter at God, the dream giver, for not delivering him. 
I don't know if these, but I'm pretty sure that these things, someday when we live just down the street from Joseph, I'm going to ask him. And I am going to live just down the road from him someday. I'm going to ask him, did you struggle with this? I mean, he's a real person. God, why didn't you deliver me? Now, that's a question. But if, if we ask that enough, it can become bitterness. I've asked God many, many times, God, why is this happening? But there's a difference between that and becoming bitter. He could have become bitter against God for not setting him free, for not delivering him, for getting him out of there. But here's the thing. I've read, I've, I've read Joseph's story many times. And there's no record of any of that. There's no record of, I've read his story and so have many of you many times and there's no record of that. God healed Joseph from the dream killer called bitterness. God healed Joseph from the dream killer called bitterness. Years later when he received tremendous power, he didn't take revenge. I'm getting ahead of myself. There's, there's, of course, more to the story. Years later, he goes to a place of tremendous power, but when that happens, he didn't take revenge on his brothers who betrayed him or the woman who slandered him or the man who imprisoned him or later, another man who forgot him. And neither will you find in Scripture him railing against or raging against or rejecting God. You can check the, the text. I have many times. And you will not find him rejecting God and saying, how dare you give me the dream and then take me through all of that. I'm not saying it was easy. It was hard. It was crushing. It was reducing. It was, it, was, it was stripping things away. But you'll never find him raging against or rejecting God. Not once. Questioning, probably. But rejecting, not once. And it's interesting that almost 4,000 years later, we still talk about Joseph. Isn't that interesting? 4,000 years later, we still talk about this guy. In fact, following this, generations of people began naming their sons Joseph. In the New Testament, the earthly father of Jesus, husband of Mary, his name was Joseph. He was named after this guy. The man in whose Jesus, in, in whom, in, in the, the man who owned the tomb where Jesus was laid temporarily, the borrowed grave, Joseph, different Joseph. Barnabas in the New Testament, his actually, that was his nickname, his actual name was Joseph. People still name their kids Joseph. How many here know at least one Joseph? This guy, right here, it all came from him. 4,000, let me see, anybody here ever meet a Potiphar? Let me see your hands. Nobody names their kid Potiphar, but they name their kid Joseph. Why? Why? In part because Joseph didn't become embittered against those who hurt him. See, it's not just always false accusation or imprisonment. It's something else. Now, don't raise your hand to this, but how many here have ever been hurt by someone? Well, that's every one of us. And, it, and, if, it, and if you haven't been hurt by someone, well, then get ready, brace yourself, because it's a coming, baby. And it's going to hurt. And you're going to wonder why. And you're going to wonder why me. And you're going to wonder why is this happening now. Unjust things still happen to people. Unjust things still happen to people, and it's happened to 
to almost every one of us. Shouldn't have happened. What they did to you, said to you, or said about you, it was wrong. It was wrong. Here's the thing. The same God who healed the heart and mind of a wounded man then and brought the dream just a little bit closer because that's what happened. But the same God who healed the heart and the mind of a man then and brought the dream a little closer heals wounded people now. We sang it earlier. You are the Lord, our healer. You do impossible things because sometimes we look and we say, how can I ever be healed? This wound is so great. This is so deep. It's, it's, it's just so life-altering, life-changing. But I have to tell you that, that we serve a healer who still heals. I've said this before. There have been three times in my life when God miraculously healed my body. I wouldn't have a right mind, I wouldn't have right legs, and I wouldn't have a a, a right body to be here. I would not be alive today were it not for his divine healing. But the greatest healing that has ever happened to me is not in a place where you could ever see. It's been in my heart. If you've been healed of something, glory to God. Thank God that he heals bodies. But the greatest healing he'll ever do in you is in a place where no one else will ever see. He still heals today. Robert E. Lee. It's a long time after Joseph. Robert E. Lee was the military commander of the South during the Civil War, 150 years ago. He, uh, Robert E. Lee was highly, highly respected in the South, both before and after the war. Sometime after the war ended, uh, Robert E. Lee was visiting the uh, beautiful home, plantation home, of a wealthy southern widow. had a wonderful time and they had a wonderful meal. Servants coming and serving this fine spread. The widow invited Robert E. Lee to sit on the porch with her. Out in front, you can imagine a big plantation home, grand porch. They're sitting there and as they were sitting there, she, she pointed to a, a once- majestic magnolia tree. If you've been in the South, you understand what that's like. They're just absolutely beautiful and fragrant. fragrant. I, we, we, I don't think we can grow magnolia in South Dakota, but they're sitting on this porch. And she points to this one-time beautiful magnolia tree. It had once been very majestic, it, but now it was scorched and it was scarred. Half of it was dead. It had happened because of the artillery fire of the northern army. As they're sitting there, she's describing to Robert E. Lee how the tree had once been magnificent and full and how it was just created so much shade and so much a wonderful place, how kids used to swing from it and climb in it, how it had sheltered their family home for really generations. And as she was describing it, she began to cry. As tears ran down her face, she looked over at Robert E. Lee, and she was waiting for some 
word from him that would condemn the North for the injustice that was done to her. Or at the very least, she waited for him to sympathize with her loss, and her loss was great. Robert E. Lee was quiet for a moment, and then he turned to her, and he said this, my dear madam, cut the tree down. Cut the tree down. Perhaps, perhaps you have pointed at some reminder of some injustice that was done to you or said about you. Now, it's not a porch and it's not a magnolia tree, but it, you, you point to something or to someone. And, and it's, 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 it's like a daily reminder of the terrible thing that was done to us or said about us. I am not in any way saying the person who did it was innocent or that the damage they did was minor. It, it, it was not. I am saying that God makes it possible to cut down that tree because he heals. Because he heals. Because there was another tree called Calvary. upon which Jesus hung so that we can not only be forgiven for our sins but so that he could give us the grace to forgive those who sinned against us. So to mix metaphors you can cut down that tree he can cut down that tree because he hung on a tree. The memory will be there no, until we get to heaven. But we sang it earlier. We serve the Lord, our healer. And you say, how can that be? Well, because of the other thing that we sang, and that is that he does impossible things. I don't know how, how many times he had to pray it. <laughs> Mrs. Potiphar came to him day after day. Sometimes there are things that we need to forgive day after day. And sometimes they come back to our memories. We have to let it go again and again and again. But I know this. I know it not only because of Joseph's story, I've seen it. I've seen it in others and I've seen it in myself. How the Lord can heal a person from even the most terrible of injustices. You say, well, it does, you don't understand. You don't understand how much it relates to me. You ever been sold into slavery? By your 
family? You, 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 ever, you ever been thrown into prison, in, in, in a foreign prison, for something you didn't do for life? This was not for 10 years and out early on good behavior. This is for life. Oh, there was someone else who was unjustly lied to and accused and who was put to death for those lies. His name was Jesus. He understands what you're going through, and his power is greater. His power can heal. We've come to a very important part in this service. It's three minutes to noon. I'm almost out of time. But you know what? That's just all right if we go a few minutes after. Because right now, we've come to perhaps one of the most important parts, and that is God doing it in you. I don't know what's, I, 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 I don't know what's happened to you. I don't have the details. I don't know. I just know that he told me to preach this message, and so I'm bringing it to you. But this I do know. My God is greater. Please do not leave this room in the next few minutes. Would you stand with me? Some of you may want to flee right now. Listen, this is not a time to flee. This is a time to stop and allow the Lord to do a work in your life. Right now, where you stand, would you bow your heads? At the close of this service, I'm going to pray over you. And at the close of this service, if you want to come down to these altars and, and pray for a long time, listen, that you just do that. Please, please, please. I want to open up these altars. But I also want to pray for you right now, right where you stand. And then you can come forward when we close. Please hold a lot of your talking towards the back of the sanctuary. There may be some up here because this is very important. Lives are altered at altars. But I want you to make an altar right where you stand, right where you sit, right where you are right now, right where you're listening. And would you pray this simple prayer? to yourself. You don't need to pray it out loud. But if you mean it, would you pray this? Lord, I come to you you know the wound, you know the lies, you know the events, you know the accusations, you know the choices that were made. Some in which I had no choice whatsoever. Others I may have had a part in it. I, I, I come to you regardless of the details because I know that you are the healer. Again, just praying this quietly to yourself. Lord, come in and heal me right now. Heal me. cut down a reminder of what was done to me or said about me 
Would you cut down that tree? Because you alone have the power. You alone can break those chains. You alone have the authority to break that spiritual stronghold that came about from those things. Would you cut down the tree and set me free? We may always remember, Lord, what they said to us or about us, but we don't need to be bound bound by it. You came to set us free. Would you cut it down right now? I don't want to live under that anymore. I don't want that, that scar to be a daily reminder of pain. Turn my wound into a scar. It points to you. Pray it. Pray it. Pray to him right now. Don't just listen to my prayer. Pray it to him right now. Right where you are, just in your own words, just pour yourself out to him. Lord, heal me. Heal me. Heal me. Cut it down. Heal me. Set me free. It happened. It was horrible. I can't undo it but you can heal me. Heal me. Heal me in Jesus' name. Heal me. I believe that you can heal bodies, but Lord, I know that you can heal hearts and minds. Heal me. I may need to pray the same thing tomorrow, Lord, but heal me. I may need to pray it on Tuesday, Lord, when it comes back. I don't know how long Joseph had to pray it, but Lord, if we have to pray it for 30 days, 100 days, six months, a couple of years, Lord, we're going to pray it until the healing comes. Heal me. Heal me. Heal me. Now, Lord, as we leave this place, may your Holy Spirit bring these things back to our hearts, to our minds. Thank you for a man named Joseph, for his story. But Lord, may part of his story be my story, our story. I ask your blessing upon the ministries that will be happening throughout the rest of this day. So many different places and different ways. I give them to you. We love you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. If you believe it, say amen. Uh, come on, if you, no, I'm, really, if you believe it, say amen. I believe you, believe it. God bless you. Please, these, these, these altars are open. If you want to spend some additional time with the Lord in prayer, please do so. God bless you. Go in the presence and the power, delivering power of the Lord Jesus Christ.